Sixth Avenue podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith-Hilmer, and I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl. And I want to start off with an apology. I did not release an episode last week because I was very sick. And um, unfortunately, I'm still a little sick. So I do apologize for my voice today. But I hope that the content of this podcast will allow you to overlook uh, that sound for us today. So I do apologize sincerely, but I'm happy to be talking to you today. Um, I am excited to talk about this movie, Swallow. It is a movie that I had seen once before. And honestly, the first time I watched it, I don't know if I just like wasn't in the right headspace to be watching it or if maybe it just wasn't what I was looking for on that particular day, but I decided to revisit it because it is really a fascinating um, film. It's unlike any other movie you will ever see, honestly. Um, And I do want to also point out that there is going to be some discussion of like disordered eating. So if that's something that you're not in the you know right frame of mind to hear about or something that you don't particularly enjoy hearing about. I totally understand. And um, maybe I'll catch you on the next episode. But first, like we discussed last time I talked to you, um, I did rent three additional movies for the Sundance Film Festival online platform to watch at home. And I want to go ahead and give you a little bit of an update on those now. So the first one I saw was called The Black Box Diaries. And um, the description... Journalist Shiori Ito embarks on a courageous investigation of her own sexual assault in an improbable attempt to prosecute her high-profile offender. Her quest becomes a landmark case in Japan exposing the country's outdated judicial and societal systems. It is phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Um, It goes on, the description goes on further to say that This film was born out of Ito's need to document her investigation, a response to the authorities' refusal to pursue her case in a meaningful manner, and more importantly, it was a way to journal her fears and thoughts as she anticipated the backlash that followed. She is uh, raped by a government official, and it is absolutely devastating um, to watch, and it's, you know, something that I think all women can kind of empathize with. Um, she she was very brave. She is brave. She is powerful. She is strong. She is a winner. Um, and I encourage you to watch this film whenever it is released. It is a documentary. So, you know, true story. The second film I watched is called The Realm of Satan. This is an experimental portrait depicting Satanists in both the everyday and in the extraordinary as they fight to preserve their lifestyle, magic, mystery, and misanthropy. Filmmaker Scott Cummings is no stranger to Sundance, having edited many highly acclaimed festival premieres over the past decade, including Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Monsters and Men, and Wendy. Realm of Satan marks his feature-length directorial debut after first staking his claim in the peripheries of nonfiction-adjacent storytelling with his acclaimed short film, Buffalo Juggalos. The Realm of Satan is 
an interesting film because it is largely silent. Um, it is not really a bunch of short stories pieced together. It's more like vignettes that are pieced together. Um, and the film is largely silent all the way up until the end. And then they take part um, in a ritual. So that's when the talking actually begins in the film. It's really interesting. I think it's one of the most interesting films that I've seen maybe ever, just because of the way that it was sequenced. I liked it a lot. I I can't wait to watch it again. Um, It also kind of helps to paint... I don't know, a a better picture for the larger audience of what Satanism is. Uh, I mean, they're just, they're just normal people, right? Um, Satanists are not inherently dangerous people. Um, You know, they're just normal people. Um, And funny thing about Satanists is that most people believe that uh, it's a religion, but it's actually not. It is the um, sort of denouncement of all organized religion. So I would encourage you to watch Realm of Satan just to get a better idea of what, you know, Satanist lives look like and to just familiarize yourself with, you know, their practices and, and the fact that they are just regular, normal people. And the third film I watched is called Little Death, a film, a middle-aged filmmaker on the verge of a breakthrough Two kids in search of a lost backpack, a small dog on a long way from home. If you're confused by the way that that reads, I watched it and I'm also confused still. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that this might have been my least favorite of the films that I saw during the 2024 Sundance. It's, it has Darren Aronofsky's stamp on it, so I don't know if, again, maybe I'm missing something or if this just wasn't a film for me. It was sold out every time I tried to see it in person. Um, I kind of, the story is like, you know, kind of linear at first and then like things start to get weird and then the main character like drops off and you get the whole new set of characters kind of halfway through the movie. And it's like, I don't really know. I mean, it is a powerful story in and of itself, simply because it deals so largely with addiction, but I don't know that it was the most effective way to, you know, communicate the dangers of addiction. And uh, I don't know, guys, you can, you can watch it if it comes to a streaming platform and tell me what you think. It wasn't my favorite. Um, yeah, it, it, it lost me. It lost me about halfway through the movie. So let me know what you guys think if you see any of these movies. Um, I do know that uh, Molly Manning Walker's film, How to Have Sex, is in theaters. So if you get a chance to see that, please, please do. It's, I already raved about it last time I talked to you. So like, you don't need to hear me do it again, but incredible film. Love Molly Manning Walker. Please go show that film some love and support in theaters. Um, Additionally, like I touched on last time with it, it has incredible music. So for that alone, I mean, you should see it. But 
now that we're done with the Sundance recap, because I think everybody's tired of hearing me talk about Sundance, we're going to move on to the discussion of today, which is the film Swallow. This was released in 2019. It is rated R. It's an hour and 34 minute runtime. It's relatively short. And we have to reference our Bible, of course, IMDb. Hunter, a newly pregnant housewife, finds herself increasingly compelled to consume dangerous objects. As her husband and his family tighten their control over her life, she must confront the dark secret behind her new obsession. This is written and directed by Carlo Mirabella Davis, starring Haley Bennett, Austin Stowell, Dennis O'Hare. This is unlike any film, like I said, you've ever seen before. Um, I think we jump right into it again. Thank you for bearing with me through the Sundance. It's over. You won't hear any more about it until next year because I am going back. Now, Swallow is an uh, IFC film, so, you know, we're in for a bit of a ride. Um, our film opens with Hunter and her husband, Richie. Richie is getting ready for work, putting on his tie and his suit because he's a big, powerful corporate man. And Hunter is a housewife. She is kind of looking out on her balcony, deciding what she needs to do that day. And today, her uh, task of the morning is to clean the swimming pool, um, which she does in a dress. So we kind of get this, like, you know, traditional aspect of, uh, you know, traditional housewife. She's taking care of herself. Her hair is well-maintained, and she is, you know performing whatever duties her and her husband have agreed upon that she will be doing um, during her time at home. She is just, you know, cleaning up the, they're, they've just moved into their new home, really. Um, they're newly married. She's, you know, unpacking things, putting things in their place, unwrapping furniture. And there are cuts throughout her completing these tasks with um, a lamb that is being led to the slaughter and the skinning and, you know, butchering of that lamb. So that is a little graphic if you don't um, particularly like to see that, but it is just at the beginning. We get our title screen very early. You love that. And now there is a dinner party that Harper and her husband Richie are attending um, in which they are eating these lamb lollipops that they... Um, you know, we just saw getting butchered. So that's nice. Um, and good for Richie because his dad owns a large company and Richie has just been promoted. He's the youngest person in the history of this company that is going to be promoted to this position. And so good for him. He gives all the gratitude to his wife, Hunter, which is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, he tells her that she is the light of his life. He couldn't do this without her. And I think that's if it was sincere, what he was saying would be very meaningful because I do believe behind every powerful man is an even more powerful woman, but I digress. Now we get kind of a good sense of what Hunter does during her days when she's not doing, you know, housework or general maintenance. She um, watches TV and she draws in like a sketchbook. Um, you know, she spends her days doing what she likes to do. Um, she also beautifully prepares dinner for her husband and herself every night and uh, she likes to play games on her phone um, so you know she's she's upholding her end of the bargain of whatever it is that her and her husband have decided um, they're gonna split their household like 
here's where we get a real sense of where Richie's priorities really lie. So Hunter is expected to put her phone away at the dinner table, but Richie is not. So she, you know, has his attention for a brief period while they're eating. He's also late for dinner. Um, and she approaches him with the idea of, hey, there's room for a flower bed by the pool in the yard. I would love to, you know, plant something. And he's like, well, tell me what flowers you'd like to plant. And of course, he gets something on his phone. He looks at it, is not paying attention to her at all. She's talking about how she'd like to do, you know, this type of flower and this type of flower and how beautiful the house is and thank you so much and that she's really happy. And he's just not paying attention to her at all. He's just on his phone the entire time. So that's kind of what the dynamic is of the relationship and why I mentioned previously his comments about his wife were uh, less than genuine. He is more focused on work and uh, appears that a wife is simply a trophy and a status symbol and something that he doesn't really have to maintain any effort in keeping. So... That will be a common theme throughout the rest of the film. Now, one morning, Hunter takes a pregnancy test and she discovers that she is actually pregnant. She is with child. So she um, goes to tell Richie, who immediately phones his mother and father um, rather than celebrating for a little bit with his wife. But he has to go tell mom and dad first. And um, Hunter is not exactly thrilled to be pregnant. She looks like she has some sort of mixed emotions, mostly negative, but everyone else is so happy for her that it kind of makes it difficult for her to determine how she kind of goes about the fact that she's pregnant. It's it's difficult to navigate, and I think that would be hard for any woman to navigate. And over dinner, they talk about how, you know, Richie's birth was, you know, 30 hours long, and, he, you know, they thought he was going to be dead, and they're telling all these stories and, you know, Richie asks her to tell a story from her childhood. And as she starts to, everyone else starts talking about work and other things and lets the story die off. She never finishes it. She's not valued in this conversation at all. It's, you know, it's clear that they see her as not really part of their family. It's kind of sad to, uh, to watch. So, They start talking about work and other things in life, and uh, yeah, then they carry on with their dinner, but Hunter is taking a sip of her water and starts to chew on the ice cubes that are in her water, which, I mean, I I think it's fairly common for pregnant women to eat ice. Um, I know it's bad for your teeth, but I personally also love to eat ice. I'm, I'm not pregnant. Don't get that twisted. But it's kind of not, you know, mannerly to eat ice at the dinner table with this family. So they all just kind of look at her very strangely before she says, yeah, uh, this ice is really good. Sorry. Hunter is, you know, carrying on at home alone. She's designing a nursery and putting up red film over the, uh, the glass floor to ceiling windows that are in the nursery room. And her mother-in-law comes over and says, I was going to bring you this book. I'm so sorry to scare you. Um, It's a self-help book. I read it when I was pregnant and it really helped with postpartum depression. And um, Hunter's like, well, thank you for thinking of me. I was actually about to make lunch. I'm having grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup if you'd like to stay. And her mother-in-law is kind of like, 
mm, no, like that's not a meal that I would consider eating. Thank you so much. Um, but also you would look really great with long hair, Hunter. So you should think about growing it out because Richie really likes his women with long hair. Mother-in-law leaves. Hunter is left with this stupid book that she doesn't want and is, you know, it's called A Talent for Joy. I, I don't even know if that's actually a self-help book, but it says every day, try to do something unexpected. Push yourself to try new things. So she's kind of sitting with that for a while and lo and behold, she is definitely going to try some new and exciting things. So Hunter goes over to a small, um, like trinket box in their living room and finds, uh, there's like marbles in there and like a key and a lock and like just a couple things. It's just like, you know, a random whatever box of stuff. She admires this marble for a while. She picks it up. It's red and glass. I mean, I used to play with marbles all the time. It's a beautiful marble and she puts it in her mouth. She swallows it. Um, successfully, honestly, kind of a big marble to swallow. And that night when Richie gets home from work and they're laying in bed, um, she's kind of tapping her foot and is very excited. And Richie is like, what are you so excited about? And she's like, I did something unexpected and exciting today. Like the book told her to do. And, uh, he's like, well, tell me, I want to know what you did. And she's like, I will tell you, but I don't really want you to laugh. So we think she's going to tell him about the marble, but of course she doesn't. She comments on the drapes and what color she chose for the theater in their house. And um, she mentions that she picked sky blue as the color. And Richie's like, well, that's so that's not really unexpected. Um, But I, you know, I don't know if that's the right color, but like whatever you want. And that's really where it ends. She doesn't tell him about her swallowing of a marble, which I feel like I would definitely tell my husband because I would be terrified. Um, But she does pry and ask him like, hey, are you sure that you love me? And he's like, I love you more than anything in the whole wide world. I, you know, I I love you. I love every part of you. And she's like, are you sure you're not mad at me? I mean, I don't know if she secretly thinks that he knows about the marble, but she's kind of grappling with this guilt that she has surrounding her decision and um, eventually lets it go and um, they kiss and they go to bed. Now the next morning when Richie's getting ready for work, he does a whitening strip on his teeth, which bold move in the morning. If you ask me, that's like crazy. I think my teeth would fall out if I did that in the morning. And Hunter is, you know, sitting in her robe, looking at her sketchbook and looking outside to draw something when Richie's getting ready. And he notices that he, um, has a tie that he wanted to put on and Hunter had ironed that tie. It's a silk tie. Um, and if you know anything about silk, you're not, can't really use an iron on silk. Uh, it's kind of more of a steam issue. So she's like, well, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't know that it couldn't be ironed. Um, I'm assuming she's never had anything silk that, you know, she's had to maintain. So like that totally makes sense. I probably wouldn't know that either. And Richie's very upset because he doesn't have another tie that will go with this shirt. So rather than, you know, explaining to her, hey, in the future, you have to steam silk things like it's no worries. Like I'll just wear something else today. He throws a bitch fit and makes her feel bad about herself. So 
you know, men. I don't know. Later, Hunter goes to the restroom and she is hoping that this marble is going to be in her feces. So she puts on some gloves, goes digging in the toilet, finds the marble, rinses it off and puts it on a uh, little tray of her own, which, you know, I suppose she views as like a collector's table of the things that she can eat and also pass um, even without digestion. Later that day, she watches, you know, TV in their um, theater room about, you know, eating placenta and how you can prepare it and what the benefits might be. And um, she's kind of eating cheese puffs while she's doing this. And her cell phone rings and she gets a call from her mother-in-law to kind of come over and chat. So she comes over and it's so odd, this scene, because you can tell how little her in-laws know about her prior to her and Richie getting married. So she goes over and they're chatting and her mom is like, what, or sorry, her mother-in-law is like, what did you do before you met Richie? And she explains that she worked retail. She did like, um, she was selling like toiletry items and stuff and they laugh and it's like, you know, this is when we find out that Hunter is not from the same social class or um, status class as Richie and his family. And I guess you could kind of have known that previously whenever you, we talked about the tie, because if she never had anything silk, then she wouldn't know that she couldn't iron it um, and, you know, stuff like that. So they talk about that and she says, you know, she, she also really wanted to be an artist, like she would apply for jobs at advertising agencies for illustrator and you know she knew she was never going to get hired but she thought why not apply anyway and now she's really grateful for the life that she lives because this you know time of her spending at home as a housewife and you know soon to be mother is allowing her time to focus on her drawing and illustrating and things of that nature so she says she's really happy her mother-in-law continues to kind of probe and is like, I'm going to tell you something that I, you know, nobody told me before, but it's fake it until you make it kind of thing, right? So like, are you actually happy or is, are you just pretending to be happy? Like if you fake it long enough, you'll probably start to believe it. But like, I'm not buying the fact that you're really that happy sitting at home, basically. Back at home, Hunter is vacuuming and she notices that while she's vacuuming, um, something gets stuck like in the rug that she's vacuuming and it uh, is a thumbtack. So she removes the thumbtack from like the bottom of the um, vacuum that it's stuck in and she puts it on the kitchen counter and stares at it for a while. After she's done kind of, you can tell she's like testing herself like, I don't want to swallow this, but like, it's here. Like, what do I do? And, um, she does eventually take it and put it in her mouth, but it cuts her tongue, uh, quite deeply and she spits it out. So she goes to the bathroom to examine how much blood is there. And the tack is still on the counter the entire time. So she goes to sit on the couch to kind of think about what she's just attempted to do. And she can't get out of her head the fact that the tack is still on the counter. So compulsively, she gets up, she goes to the 
kitchen counter and she swallows that thumbtack. It hurts. She's like, you know, heaving over the counter like, oh my God, this is painful. It's like stuck in my throat. And eventually, you know, it's successfully swallowed. I can't imagine how painful that would have been. Like, I was thinking about the people that like, you know, you can put swords in their mouth and stuff all the way down and stuff like that. Like, I just like don't understand like anatomically like how that works um but she does manage to swallow the thumbtack and she's like very pleased with herself that she was able to swallow it she feels better now that she swallowed it you know life can now continue like normal she waits for richie to come home from work um he comes home very very late and he has a bunch of you know drunk colleagues with him and they're all standing by the pool you know being grown men who are somehow still boys and being like oh who's gonna jump in the pool who's gonna take off their clothes and jump in the pool like blah 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 stupid she's watching them from the bedroom window when she starts to get really bad stomach cramps and so she goes to the bathroom and there is blood everywhere um presumably from her swallowing this thumbtack so she quickly like gets out the gloves and the cleaner and is gonna clean up everything so that way nobody knows what happened after that, um, she, she basically plays it off like there's nothing wrong. She doesn't admit to anybody what happened, including her own husband. And um, there is a co-worker of Richie's that's there who finds her in the kitchen because um, for whatever reason, even though she's like in her nightgown and like ready to go to bed, basically, um, I, I, she still expected to entertain Richie's co-workers. And so... She comes downstairs, and while she's in the kitchen, one of his coworkers comes in and asks for a hug. And she's like, well, I am Richie's wife. Um, I don't know if that's, like, an appropriate ask. And he says, well, I'm not drunk enough to ask you for a kiss. Um, I, I, you know, I suppose he's just looking for some human connection of some sort. And he gets this vibe from her that she also is looking for some. So... After she comes out of the bathroom, she greets Richie, and she, after having washed off the thumbtack, places it next to the marble on her tray of collection items of things that she's eaten, and she, um, you know, gives this man a hug, and that's basically where the encounter ends. It's, it's a little odd, but, like, I don't know, sometimes when people are looking for human connection, I mean, they do strange things, and asking for a hug, I, I don't really feel like is all that strange, but to her, it is. Inevitably, though, whenever they are embracing, she um, gets kind of emotional, and you can tell that she's longing, she's lonely, she's kind of wishing for this type of connection, you know, with, with her husband, but is clearly not getting it. Um, and she ends up thanking him, even though he is the one who asked her for the hug kind of a sweet, you know, somber moment. But the next day, uh, you know, she finds a double A battery. And if you know anything about swallowing batteries, please don't. It's very dangerous. If your child swallows a battery, that is emergency room immediately. Please do not hesitate. Okay. It can mix with the acids in your stomach and be very, very bad for you. Like it can explode. Like, please, please, please don't swallow the battery. It's not worth it. Um, But pleased with herself after having, you know, satisfied this craving for swallowing an object, she has this battery and she straightens up the living room and she excitedly shows Richie the, uh, you know, the modeling or staging or what have you for 
the nursery that she's created. So she has the furniture. She has everything up on the walls. Looks great. In bed, she is reading A Talent for Joy again, um, which is the book that her mother-in-law brought her. And she is tearing pages out of the book and eating the paper. She's still reading it, but she's also eating the paper at the same time. And when we go look back over at the tray of things that she has been collecting of things she swallowed, um, it has grown significantly. Um, there's like a, a thimble and other like little tiny trinkets um, and like look, what looks like a gold ring, um, obviously the thumbtack and the marble. Um, you'll notice that the battery is not there, but she did swallow a rather large figurine at one point and a key. And, um, so that's a little troubling, but I suppose it's a good thing that, um, these things are all coming out of her and not staying inside of her and her and Richie go for an ultrasound and they're very excited to, you know, see the baby, hear its heartbeat. And the sonographer is like, that looks like there's something else in here other than a baby. And she's like, what are you talking about? They're very confused. Uh, and rightfully so. And she gets over one part of Hunter's stomach, the sonographer does, and it starts to hurt. Um, Hunter is rushed to surgery where they, they go into her throat and remove some items. Uh, the, one of the items they remove, I honestly don't know what exactly it is, but it is metal and small and slightly sharp. Um, but they are removing paper clips and, um, clothesline pins and just um, what looks to be a safety pin and the battery. So, oh, and she's um, swallowed like a jack, like a, um, you know, when you play jacks with people, she swallowed one of those. And her husband is very upset with her at home. He's yelling at her. He's like, I'm trying to understand. He's throwing things away that he doesn't want her to eat. And he's yelling at her, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're endangering my child. You're endangering yourself. Like, this is unacceptable. And she's, she's defensive. She's like, I don't know why I'm doing it. I just, I wanted to do it. So I did it. And, you know, when somebody is coming out of surgery, it's, you know, and dealing with something like this, it's yelling is not really supposed to help the situation. Um, but she's like, I didn't know about Pika before now. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. And Pika is a compulsion um, in which people eat non-food items. They don't have nutritional value. And he's like, this is bullshit. You definitely knew about this before we got married. And this is something you tell somebody before you get married to them. Like, this is insane. And she's like, seriously, I didn't know. I don't know what to tell you. Exhausted, she gives up and he starts throwing things away. He throws away all of... The things that she had eaten that were on her little tray and she's she's just defeated okay like he's like I, I don't understand why you would do this you know you have a great life like there's no reason to eat these things and yeah they decide that a therapist is a good option which I think is not a bad option ever in life and this is set up by the father-in-law and Richie and they tell the therapist, frankly, we are looking for results and that is what we are expecting. That's what we're paying for. So you need to basically fix this problem. They don't want to leave her to talk to the therapist alone, but eventually Hunter is like, yeah, please. Like, I would like to talk to this woman. I would like to talk to this therapist alone without you guys here. 
So they finally oblige and they leave. She doesn't really want to talk about anything. She wants medication. So she asks the therapist, can I just have the medication? And I don't want to talk about anything. And the therapist is like, we can try, you know, Wellbutrin or like this other med. But like, really, I think talking is good too. So it would be great if you could talk a little bit about your family. And she's like, I don't know what you want me to say. Like, I had a great family life. My parents loved me very much. I had a wonderful life. The end. Um, I just want to go back to normal so I can stop eating things. So that way I can make Richie happy and go back to my regular life. Because, of course, that would be the easiest thing for her, right? She she just wants life to be normal so that everyone is happy with her again. She tells the therapist that the reason she's been eating things is that, like, she likes the way that the textures feel in her mouth. Um, like, she likes the way, like, the stuffing from the mattress feels or, um, you know, metal, like, really cold metal and the pain of passing these items or having them in her body, like, doesn't really bother her. So back at home, of course, mother-in-law of the year to the rescue, she's like, we are going to start a new type of diet and we need to reconnect your brain to your body. You're hungry. There's something that you need that your body is not getting. And that is why you're eating these items. So she's making her this like high protein, high, you know, fruit, vegetable, juice, smoothie type situation that she's expecting Hunter to drink. Basically, they're trying to like eliminate solid food um, at this moment because they're worried about her swallowing things and how she's eating. So um, then Richie comes in and is like, hey, can I borrow you for a quick second, Hunter? Because there's someone I want you to meet. The uh, Conrad family have hired a live-in nurse, essentially, to keep an eye on Hunter. He's, it's framed as if this man is there to, um, his name is Louis. It's framed as if Louis is there to, like, take care of her if she doesn't feel like cooking. You know, he can cook for her. He can clean for her if she doesn't feel like cleaning, if she's not feeling well. This was all mother-in-law's idea, and she explains that she had help when, like, around the house whenever she was pregnant, and it's helpful right now because, you know, she just got out of the hospital, she's tired, and essentially, Hunter knows that this is all just a farce, and he's there to watch her because Richie can't be there all the time. So, yeah, and he's a friend of the family, by the way, this nurse, so, you know, Everybody is pitted against Hunter, and she literally cannot be alone without this man following her. Like, she's just, like, outside. He's always nearby. She wants to make dinner for her husband, and at first he's like, I really, like, I don't want you, like, preparing food on your own. Um, But she insists, and so everybody's just, like, really weird about food and her eating. Being the polite woman that she is, Hunter is trying to make conversation with Louie as he's watching her prepare vegetables for dinner. Um, And she says, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Damascus, uh, Syria, not Pittsburgh. And she's like, okay, why'd you leave? And he's like, uh, war, duh. So then she talks about her upbringing. She grew up in upstate New York with like, you know, animals and farm and blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of where the situation ends. But she does say, I have to go to the bathroom. Please stop following me everywhere. 
So she gives um, him permission to basically do a TSA quality pat down of her body before she enters the bathroom alone, which is really awesome. I can only imagine how wonderful that feels. But of course, as we all know, people with compulsions, it is, uh, they will always find a way to get what they're looking for. So in the bathroom, she crawls under uh, to look under like the toilet and there's an extra little baggie of like screws and bolts and things like that. And she finds something to eat, swallows it. So she's outsmarting uh, even the man who's assigned to watch her all day. Back at therapy, the therapist is like, hey, I got a list of the stuff that you swallowed from the hospital. You ate a battery. Like, this is really scary. You can't eat that. And Hunter's like, I just don't know why, like, people are making such a big deal about this. Like, I did some things I shouldn't have. And the therapist is like, the battery seems like a really big fucking deal. If it leaked inside, the acid from the battery could have killed you. I'm very worried. Like, it's not like you're swallowing harmless items. Like, you know, ice. Like, (laughs) these are dangerous objects. And Hunter basically tells her, like, look, I did it because it made me feel like I was in control. The therapist asks her, do you feel out of control? Which, you know, she doesn't really give an answer to. But, of course, we know that she definitely feels out of control. And on her way out, she tells the therapist, there is something about my family that I actually did want to tell you. But I know our time is done for today, so maybe we'll talk about it next time. It's Richie's birthday and I have to get home. So back at home, she puts on the perfect, you know, updo and the dress and the jewelry. And she cooks the all the meals and the hors d'oeuvres. And she's walking around, you know, passing him out. And people are looking at her like she is sick, sick. And everybody says the wrong thing, right? Like everybody's making little digs. So she walks up with these sandwiches to this woman and... Um, the woman is like, I honestly, like, I'm so full. If I eat anymore, I'm going to have to have my stomach pumped. And, like, she means it as a joke to, like, you know, hyperbolize how full she is. But Hunter is like, hmm, that didn't feel good. Everybody knows. So she turns around to apologize to Hunter and Richie comes in and is like, hey, that's okay. We know you didn't mean anything by it. My mom has got Hunter on this new diet. It has lots of iron and fiber and fish and so you know everything is is getting back to normal they tell her how great she looks and how wonderful diets are and blah 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 you know they're saying all the wrong things but she's upset that richie told anybody about what's been happening she's embarrassed so she confronts him outside and is like everybody here at this party cares about you like are you really mad at me for telling people about this and she's like i really just wanted it to be a secret hello, this is about my health. And she's like, I just can't fucking believe you told these people that. And he's like, well, can you please just not ruin my birthday? Because, you know, that's what men do whenever women are like, you know, confronting them about their feelings because women confront things typically in the moment. And so, of course, she would be ruining his birthday by asking her husband to keep her health issues um, a, a privacy. It's a privacy issue. So the next day, she's really sad and... She lays in bed to read. Loe comes and checks on her. And he's like, I'll be outside if you need me. Hope everything's okay. Um, And there's a thunderstorm. 
she watches it and when a rainbow comes out after she goes to stand outside to just like kind of bask in the the light and that night and i this scene makes me uncomfortable and like uh, uh, the reason for that is because i don't exactly claim to know what these people have in their marriage but um in the middle of the night while richie is sleeping she gets on top of him and inserts his penis inside of her um and um rides him until she orgasms i i feel weird about this because i don't know if this is something that they consented to earlier or not or if i'm really supposed to even be thinking about it that deeply but he says well hey i'm not done yet i know you're done and she's like well i'm not going to help you finish anything until you apologize for what you did yesterday So he tells her, like, I am sorry. This hasn't been easy for me. I needed support. You know, like, all these things. And she's like, do you still love me unconditionally, like you said? And he says, of course I do. Now, the thing is, I can't tell if he's being sincere still. I don't think he is. So he promises her he's going to try harder to understand her condition and be more understanding of her. And that appears to satisfy her enough. Back in therapy, Hunter is talking about her family again, and she uh, divulges to the therapist that her the dad that she was raised with is not her biological dad, and that she has never met her biological father because she is, her life, her birth, is a product of her mother having been raped. Her mom was at a bar. Uh, this man followed her um, home broke in, raped her, and the resulting pregnancy was Hunter. Her mom, like, you know, didn't believe in abortion, carried the baby to term, and had Hunter, and um, that she also carries a photo of the rapist in her uh, wallet, or like, in her purse. So, yeah, she asked the therapist if uh, she can show her the picture, And the therapist is like, no, I don't really particularly want to see that photo. Um, But thank you for, I guess, telling me that. So while Hunter is gardening, she is um, looking at this dirt that she has in her hand that she's using to pot her plants. And uh, she's like debating eating it, but says, nope, that's okay. Richie gets a call, and this is where we uncover that she literally has the worst therapist in all of human history because Richie has been bribing the therapist to tell him what is being discussed in the sessions that she's having with Hunter. So that's awful. Um, Hunter hears this, obviously breaks down. She feels betrayed. Everybody is in on this except for her. Like, everybody's against her. She can't even go to therapy. Like, she can't do anything. And so she cleans herself up and Richie is like, hey, I'm going to go to the gym. And when, you know, after that, I'm going to buy you something. I'm going to buy you whatever you want, a dress, a necklace. And she's like, I would like a bracelet. And he's like, okay, fine. Then a bracelet is what you will have. So back inside the home, she, Hunter is, is spiraling. And she's like, what the fuck do I do? Like, this is this is awful. Like there's no one in this family or in this circle of people that I can trust with anything. And in this panic, she finds a mini screwdriver 
it's even though it's a mini screwdriver i mean screwdrivers are still like even those are still pretty big um and pointy and so um she is choking obviously she's not well and after Louis finds her in this uh in this choking spell he calls 911 and she undergoes more surgery to uh remove the screwdriver and after that i mean things just don't really get much better but they do get a little better so stay with me so back at home um the in-laws the best in-laws in the world are back and they have decided that it is best to have hunter um committed into a psychiatric hospital and she's going to be there for the next seven months until her child is um, carried to term and that this is for the safety of her child not for the safety of herself because again nobody cares about the woman with the child they only care about the child so um they threaten that like richie's gonna leave her if she doesn't agree to go through with this and like you know they they just give her all the guilt right so she finally is like okay i'll go so she packs a bag and when they're about to leave go into the car she says hey i um i forgot my cell phone charger i want to go upstairs to go get it and they're like hey you know it's okay you actually don't need your cell phone while you're there like you know you don't need the charger it's fine like you're going to be working on yourself and like your treatment and she's like no literally like the games that i play on my phone like i like to play them like i really really need my phone charger so she goes back upstairs away goes with her and um he basically assists her in escaping from uh from this so um she leaves he sets up the bathroom with like the water running and an open window to make it look like she ran away um escaped out of the bathroom on her way out and she runs through the woods until she finds a um a road with you know a busy road with like frequent drivers and she hitchhikes to a motel so when she gets to the motel she on her way up puts a handful of dirt in her pocket because she recently was looking at the dirt while she was planting her uh, flowers and she wants to try it so she gets in a night um she gets one night in the hotel motel excuse me and um, she calls richie richie's out looking for her with his father and she um he basically tells her like he begs her like please come back like please you can't you know you can't do this and she's like i love you but i'm never coming back and like no there's nothing you can say that's gonna make me come back and he's like screaming at her like this is my child like how could you do this to me you bring my baby back here like again nobody cares about hunter so she gets off that phone call and smashes her phone to smithereens which is you know I guess I can't blame her. Um, and she eats the dirt on the bed, um, kind of like you eat popcorn, like taking little handfuls at a time and uh, watching TV. The next morning she checks out and she goes to a payphone to call her mom. And her mom says, you know, 
I would love to have you home, except your sister is here with uh, her baby already. So it's kind of a full house and I really just don't have the space. And Hunter's like, well, I mean, I understand, but like, I really want to come home. Like, I really want to see you and I won't take up much room. I don't even have anything with me. And her mom just kind of doesn't accept that as, as a reason or valid for coming home. So Hunter remembers that she has this, um, you know, biological father out there in the world. And so she is able to track him down. His name is William Irwin. William and his wife and uh, daughter are throwing a birthday party. So Hunter shows up and says that, you know, um, everybody, like, she's a joy to have at the party, right? Like, she's really putting it on. And uh, William's wife is like, how do you know here? Like, I didn't notice you bring a child. And she's like, uh, William and my mom are old friends. And she kind of explains that. And then whenever William uh, understands finally who this person is, right? Because he remembers the name of the woman that he raped. He is like, are you here to ruin my life? Like, don't do this to me. And they have this confrontation in the kitchen. Hunter is like, I am the one in control right now. I will do whatever the fuck it is that I want to do. So I came here. You are going to play by my rules. So they talk and essentially William tells her that he feels shame and guilt for having raped uh, Hunter's mom and that when he was in prison, he got his, he got what was due to him. Um, he got beat and raped and bloodied and everything by everybody else there for the crimes that he committed and he knows now that he is he's nothing he's meaningless he's he's absolutely a trash human and um she kind of asks like why he did it and he was like i did it because i am i was in control of that situation like i felt like a god everybody played by my rules i was the one calling the shots and after having served my time, like I realized that none of that mattered because it's a terrible thing to do. And I, you know, I mean nothing anyway. And Hunter says, do you think that I am like you? And he tells her no. So after this, you know, little bit of closure that she receives from talking to her biological father, she goes to a clinic and she is prescribed um, some medication, and this medication is to induce an abortion. And um, the next time we see Hunter is at a shopping mall. She's eating like a normal meal at a table in the food court, and she goes to the restroom to um, pass the child, and she washes her hand and washes her hands and leaves. And that is the end. That is the end of Swallow. So, um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Swallow. Um, it's a powerful film. This film is entirely centered around the concept of control. Who controls who, what, when, how. Unfortunately for Hunter, she has very little control over her own life. 
her in-laws and her husband are always up her ass and they all know so very little about her life and like where she came from and what she did before she entered this family. And, you know, we uncover in the conversation that she's having in her mother-in-law's living room that she came from a, a lower class family than that of the Conrads. And like before she married Richie, she worked in retail and had aspired to be an illustrator and Now she's like a stay-at-home wife, and although she tries to convince herself and everyone else, including her mother-in-law, that she's happy staying home and has so much more time on her hands to devote to things that she likes doing, like drawing, she's really only fooling herself. The life that Hunter has now is one of, like, total isolation. She's secluded from everything and everyone. She lives in this giant house, like, there's nobody ever there except for her. And this is this whole thing was like decided entirely for her by her newly acquired family. Like she married into this. She felt pressure to like uphold these values and take on this role. And like, it's really like not what she wanted. She just wanted like companionship, essentially. Like she was lonely and like she finally felt like this was, you know, maybe like a way out of the way that she was raised. And so like, she wanted to take it on, but it's really not what she wants. And essentially the Conrads only view Hunter as a vessel to carry and birth a child. Like she's clearly suffering from mental distress and all everybody cares about is the fact that she's pregnant. When they attempt to have her transported to the treatment facility, they tell her that so like she can safely carry the pregnancy to term they don't focus at all on the fact that she desperately needs help so that she can live a more fulfilling life um like they only care about the baby when she calls richie from the motel room you know all he focuses on is that he wants her back so that he can have his child with him literally nobody cares about hunter they only care about this baby this fetus the thing that's it's not even born yet this is further demonstrated by the fact that again literally nobody knows anything about her her mother-in-law didn't know what she did for work before marriage her own husband didn't know that her biological father raped her mother like the shallowness of this family is deafening Like, they don't care about anything other than, can she maintain a home? Can she carry a child? Can she play the part of the traditional wife? Like, that's all they care about. Hunter is just like a token. She's a toy. She's something that this family can play with and, like, mold into what they want. Kind of like I've touched on before about how, like, really wealthy people tend to take on these, like, charity cases, for lack of a better term, to, like you know, make themselves feel better about their life. And Hunter totally seems to be a charity case here. Like they don't, they don't even know her. Like it's, it's baffling. Like how can you enter a family without knowing anybody? She's quiet. She does what she's told. She doesn't speak unless she's spoken to. She throws the dinner parties and dresses for dinner and like does every she gets pregnant quickly after marriage like she does everything that the traditional wife is supposed to do this is the dynamic that they have and she doesn't attempt to disrupt that dynamic so they love her even more for that right um 
her own husband has to find out on her own or on his own that like his wife's life is not what he thought it was and that like you know he had to pay a therapist to figure it out like rather than just asking her himself like it's absolutely nuts and again i cannot repeat this enough that is the worst therapist ever ever your therapist should never ever be telling anyone else what is discussed in your private sessions that is a total violation of conduct please in reality if that ever happens to you please report that that person um there is a board that you can report them to it is absolutely unacceptable the conrad family literally will not keep hunter's issue a secret either like at the dinner table or at the dinner party that hunter throws for her Richie's birthday she's met with all these comments about how great she looks and like about her new diet and like Richie basically told everybody that like you know there's something really wrong with her and like she just wanted it to be a secret between her and her husband like nothing is private anymore she everybody knows everything about her like it's almost as if like everybody is in on it even the people that he works with like the only person that seemingly had any sympathy for her at all was the co-worker of Richie's that drunkenly asked her for a hug like nobody else seems to care they just want her to stop doing it but like she can't stop that's it's a compulsion like she cannot stop doing it and that's because Hunter is suffering from pica um pica is a disorder defined by the cleveland clinic as a mental condition where a person compulsively swallows non-food items it is especially common in children and with other certain conditions while it's often harmless um swallowing certain items can make pica very dangerous these items are you know they're that are being swallowed like they typically have no nutritional value or purpose to being eaten so, like, it's really common in children under the age of six, um, pregnant people, and people with certain mental health conditions, particularly autism spectrum disorder, intellectual disabilities, and or schizophrenia. Um, this is something that I don't really know a ton about other than I do know for a fact I've never seen a film about this disorder, um, so I think it's inter- it's a very interesting way to highlight it. Um, I, I do have, you know, knowledge of people in my life that have suffered with this, but it always seemed so far removed from, like, me and my interactions with them because, like, I never saw them doing it. But since we are dealing with a uh, mental health issue at play, like, I do want to give you some more information about it. So common symptoms include anemia, um, roundworm infection, constipation, electrolyte imbalance, irregular heart rhythm, lead poisoning, and small and large intestine obstructions or blockages. So again, this can potentially be very, very dangerous. Like again, usually it's harmless, but like with Hunter, the things that she was swallowing are very dangerous to, to put in your mouth and to consume. Common non-food items that are being eaten include ash, baby or talcum powder, chalk, charcoal, 
clay, dirt, soil, coffee grounds, eggshells, feces, hair, string, thread, paper, rocks or pebbles, pet food, soap, wool or cloth. Um, I think everybody from my generation will probably remember there was an episode of a show on like TLC where a small boy was eating dust. Um, yeah, it's, you know, very well could be a symptom of, of this. Um, I obviously never saw that episode. It was just like a viral thing that went around on the internet, um, that people probably were not the kindest about. It is a sensitive subject. Um, I know personally, like when I was growing up, there was a boy in one of my classes that ate uh, paper frequently. And, um, I remember it always made me sick. Like anytime I would see him eating the paper, I would have to throw up and, um, sometimes go home from school because I threw up at school. Um, it's, you know, I didn't have empathy at that time. I was in like first or second grade. I didn't have the empathy formed at that time to understand that maybe there was really something wrong with him and that maybe he was, you know, suffering from some sort of like malnutrition or like desperation or hunger. Like I really just like didn't have that empathy at that time to formulate that conclusion. Now looking back, like I definitely am able to empathize. Like, you know, I don't know if he grew out of it. He moved. Um, I never heard from him again, obviously in my adult life. So like, I don't know but I hope he's doing well. Factors that increase the risk of developing pica um, include cultural or learned behaviors, stress or anxiety, negative conditions during childhood like poverty or attention-seeking behavior, mental health conditions like I've already mentioned, nutritional deficiencies, medical conditions, particularly pregnancy and sickle cell anemia, um, when I talk about, or when I talked about cultural or learned behaviors, um, that increase the risk of developing pica, there is a specific example cited by the Cleveland Clinic. Um, there is a Roman Catholic shrine in New Mexico, um, that eat dirt as part of a religious practice. And so, um, sometimes, you know, if you think that this is like a normal behavior, you might do it outside of that religious practice, um, which obviously can later become dangerous. And the first sign of Pika in Hunter's character is when she's having a meal with her in-laws and her husband and she's chewing on the ice. It's really common for pregnant people to eat ice and is an illustration of Pika genuinely being harmless because ice has no nutritional value and it's not technically like a food item. But, you know, the ice progresses into small metal trinkets and batteries and screwdrivers and paper and dirt. And instead of being worried about Hunter, the Conrads are mad at her and upset with her for endangering the life of this fetus that she's carrying. The loss of control of her own life since she married Richie leads Hunter to attempt to regain a sense of control over herself and her own body. Like, you already kind of lose control over your body in a sense whenever you become pregnant so like she's dealing with that and then there's people policing her and they hire you know a man to be watching her all the time and swallowing these objects in her mind is a small way to like regain control she controls what goes in her mouth however 
pica is you know a, a disorder based on compulsion so that what i mean by that is to say that people struggling with pica often cannot control the urge to eat these non-food items so while hunter feels like she can at least control this one thing in her life she's still kind of out of control because she's she's not able to stop right if she was in control she would be able to stop and she's not but when hunter like escapes her stressful environment of her you know current life that she's constantly under surveillance in um we kind of see her recognize that like yeah she has a problem when she gets to the hotel and she eats dirt she calls Richie and she eats it on the bed while watching TV. But then the next day, after attempting to reconnect with her mother and locating her, you know, mother's rapist, she goes to his home and confronts him. And she, you know, repeatedly tells him, I am in control. You're going to do whatever I want right now. And he tells Hunter that she is not like him. This, like, control thing that he was striving for didn't ultimately make him happy right it made him worse off like he served prison time for his actions and like he realized that like these things to gain control like often do not make you in control at all so with that in mind you know she has this like newfound confidence from this confrontation with william and then when she goes to the clinic to get the pills for the abortion She takes the first pill at the clinic and we see her later in the food court of the mall eating a normal meal. And she goes to the restroom in the mall, passes the fetus, and, like, she made those choices. Like, she made the choice to confront her biological father. She made the choice to have the abortion. It's kind of implied at that point that after she gets this resolution from confronting her biological father that she has this, like, control of her life now. Like, she can decide to not have this baby if she doesn't want to. She can decide to, like, live life differently. Not only to mention, like, that she's eating these, like, non-food items, but, like, she's eating proverbial shit the entire film. Like, all the way up until the end. Like, her in-laws don't like her. Her husband doesn't care about her. All the while, she grins and bears it. She swallows this life that she has been married into. The vague insults from her new family and... Additionally, the objects in her home. Like, she swallows everything. She takes everything on. And another way to view this is to kind of think about the fact that sometimes beauty and status are gained by self-sabotage. I'm talking about the film as a whole, not about her disorder that she's showcasing in the film. Um, Hunter leaves behind her old life of, like, middle class and, you know, her family to gain this life of wealth and not having to work and sabotaging essentially that relationship with her former life, her former self, her family. She, you know, gets to stay at home now and she knows that she should be over the moon happy and appreciative of the Conrads for granting her this life. And like, this is something that, you know, people wish for, they beg for, they dream of. And like, she has it, but she doesn't like it. Like, she doesn't want it. So, like, you know, in a small way, these, like, impulses, these, you know, these compulsions that she has to eat these objects are, like, almost, in a way, a self-sabotage as well. Um, you know, it's like, I I don't like this life, so, like, 
let me do this and I'll feel better about it. Um, you know, physically she's pregnant, a dream for many people. She's not happy about the pregnancy. She deals with it in a different way. Like she doesn't, you know, at first believe that abortion is an option. She very well could have never told her husband that she had been pregnant and gone to have one in private, but you know, everybody's watching her all the time and she's not in control of her life anyway. So like somebody inevitably would have found out like this film is so complex. I could go on and on all day about it, but I've already taken up too much time. So I just want to end it there. Please, if you have a chance to watch Swallow, it is available on uh, Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video. And um, thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm very sorry that my voice is not up to par with how it typically is. I am working on, you know, getting healthy again. And um, yeah, everybody stay safe out there. Like, you can get sick from literally everybody because everybody is apparently very sick. Um, I go to work, there's people sick there. Like there's people, there's sick people everywhere. So wash your hands, take good care of yourself, get some sleep, drink lots of fluids. Um, and thank you so much for listening. So if you enjoyed this podcast, of course it would mean the absolute world to me. If you, um, gave me a five-star review, you can find my podcast and many others like it at morbidlybeautiful.com. It's your home for horror. Um, head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com to check out the amazing other um, content creators and contributors we have um, in the little horror community that we've created. I so appreciate your time. I do apologize again for skipping last week's episode. And I promise I will attempt to avoid that as much in the future as I can. Um, so anyways... If you made it this far, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Never forget that I am Sixth Avenue's very own final girl. 